This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Joining me in segments two and three of today's program is a returning guest. His name is Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, Dr. Nenner is a very interesting gentleman. He has, uh, as he'll explain, a formal background as a medical doctor, but in studying various cycles relating to certain medical conditions, uh, he really arrived at the fact that these cycles exist in markets as well. And I'm going to have him share his research with you today. I think you'll find it interesting. He will also be giving us his forecast for various markets. Now, if you listened to last week's program, you know that my new book will be released in under two weeks now. The book is titled Retirement Roadmap, and I want to share with you one of the strategies, one of the philosophies from the book in this segment. But if you'd like to pre-order the book and get a copy when it comes out, uh, it'll be in your hands within a couple of weeks. You can go to RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Just let us know where to mail your book, and when it's released, we'll be glad to get you a copy. And again, the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. As I said, in this segment, I want to share with you uh, a philosophy, if you will, uh, from the new Retirement Roadmap book. Many financial professionals, whether they're stockbrokers or investment advisors, Uh, and certainly not all, but many limit their advice to holding just two asset classes, typically stocks and bonds. And historically speaking, in many environments, but a study of history will certainly conclude uh, very conclusively that not all environments uh, have stocks and bonds moving in opposite directions. Now, we are moving into a time frame where I believe that will not be true as well, which brings up the idea of a couple other more non-traditional asset classes. And the first asset class I want to talk about in this segment is probably an asset class that's near and dear to many of your hearts. It's the asset class called cash. I mean, certainly when you have a lot of cash in your purse or wallet, it probably probably makes you feel good. But as an asset class, it's often ignored. In fact, many financial professionals, many Wall Street type advisors will say that cash is trash. Well, cash is trash. That that thing, that that saying actually became a, a cliche that's often used because cash has very little yield, arguably no yield today. It's got no appreciation potential. And in an inflationary environment, cash loses purchasing power. Now, all those things are true. However, in a deflationary environment, in an environment when asset prices fall or asset prices crash, then cash becomes king. And I want to give you just a couple examples. Now, if you think back, to the subprime mortgage market collapse from 2006 to 2008, arguably into 2009, the Case-Shiller Housing Index, which is the most commonly used index to measure the price of housing, that index fell from a number of about 225 to about 
150. That's a decline of about a third. Now let me have you consider a what if here for just a moment. What if you had sold your real estate in 2006 at the peak? And what if you had put your sales proceeds in cash? By 2010, when the real estate market finally bottomed, that cash that you pulled from your real estate sales in 2006, just four years later, you would have been able to buy 50% more real estate with your money. So in that particular example, cash performed well. Now, cash certainly loses purchasing power in an inflationary environment like arguably we have today, but it gains purchasing power when asset prices collapse in a deflationary environment. Now, I would make an argument that if you're approaching retirement, and I talk about this in my book, Retirement Roadmap, and if you're just joining us, that book will be released in about a week and a half, and you can get your complimentary copy when it is released by going to RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Now, one of the arguments I make in the book is that as you're approaching retirement, you want to avoid losses on at least part of your portfolio. If you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s and you're going to work for another couple decades at a minimum, avoiding losses on your portfolio may not be that big a deal, depending on what keeps you awake at night as far as investment losses are concerned. However, if your age is in the 50s, if you're in your 60s and you're going to be retiring and you're going to be counting on some of the assets in your portfolio to use as income when you retire, then avoiding losses really becomes a pretty important thing to seriously consider. And the reason for that is that when you look at something called the break-even math, at least that's what I call it, the break-even math is simply brutal. And the break-even math just simply says that every percentage loss in a portfolio requires a larger percentage gain subsequent to experiencing that loss to get back to even. So a 35% loss in your portfolio requires about a 50% gain to get back to even. A 50% loss in the value of your asset requires a subsequent gain of about 100% to get back to even. Now, if you have some cash as asset prices collapse, when those asset prices are lower, that same amount of cash buys more of that asset. Now, we just looked at real estate, but let's take a look at stocks. If you look at the stock market decline from 2007 to 2009, it actually lasted from July of 2007 and finally bottomed in March of 2009, the S&P 500, by my math, dropped 53.6%. If you had converted your stock to cash in 2007, by 2009, you could buy twice the stock, actually more than twice the stock that you could have purchased with that same level of cash in 2007. So those are just a couple of many examples that 
prove the often used adage that cash is trash can be totally wrong. Now, this ties into the fact that, as I talk about uh, on the program here quite often, the currency money cycle. Over time, currency evolves, and as it evolves, we move from inflation to deflation. So it's hard to ignore the fact that as we move from inflation to deflation, and as we do, as we see perhaps stock prices decline, perhaps real estate prices decline, that having some money in cash can make a lot of sense. Now, in the fourth segment of today's program, I'm gonna talk about another asset class that is not often discussed. And in the next couple of segments, I'm going to talk to Dr. Charles Nenner about his work and based upon his cycles research where he sees various asset classes going. So you'll wanna stay tuned for that as well. And as we move to the break, I just wanna remind you that the book Retirement Roadmap will be released uh, in less than two weeks. And I would encourage you to go ahead and go to the website, roadmaptoretirementbook.com to request your copy. We'll be glad to send you a complimentary copy when it is released. Uh, again, the website, roadmaptoretirementbook.com. Also, if you're not yet a user of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, go to the app store on your smartphone, Search under your RLA, spell it as one word, that's your RLA, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and you'll see our app, which you can download for free. With that free app, you get access to my weekly headline roundup webinars. Every Monday at noon, I give you a roundup of financial and economic and investing headlines you might not see anywhere else. You also get access to the podcast version of this radio program. You'll also get access to the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter where we track markets and give you our economic and investing perspective. So again, the App Store, just visit the App Store, search under your RLA, that's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and you can download the app. I'll be back after these words with my special guest today, Dr. Charles Nenner. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, you can learn more about Dr. Nenner's work at charlesnenner.com. That's N-E-N-N-E-R, nenner.com, charlesnenner.com. And uh, any of our listeners would like to go check out his work, and I'll talk to him about his work in this segment, you can go to the website and get a 30-day free trial for uh, his uh, service. So, Dr. Nenner, welcome back to the program. Well, great to be back with you. So... Charles, talk a bit about um, your background for maybe our listeners that aren't familiar with, uh, you know, your background. Then we'll get into a bit about what you do. Well, I, I'm a medical doctor. And um, while I was doing research uh, about uh, when people get psychotic all over the world, we found out that it happens all over the world in certain periods. So we can call it in certain cycles every so many years, every so many months. We knew this already because uh, there's a lot of uh, women who give birth if it's full moon. Now, why it's full moon and, and, and birth, we don't really know, but you better get your staff together because you have an inflow of women giving birth. 
Um, so I was very in, intrigued by how the world works because this doesn't move at random. This has to do with, uh, with, with things we don't really understand for the moment. And once I saw a program on CNBC about markets going up, markets going down, I said, well, maybe I can apply it to the same thing because these stories don't really make sense to me. So then uh, we talk about a time that there were no real computers, so I did everything by hand. And I start studying uh, when markets go up, how much they go up and when they go down, how much they go down. And I came to the conclusion these things can be uh, predictable and uh, they don't move at random. So then I went into that research and found it very interesting. And um, after uh, starting out my own firm in New York, I, I worked for Goldman Sachs and that was already a strange situation because I'm a medical doctor and they have the rules that you need to, you know, uh, study in business and, and, and come from Harvard or wherever. And then uh, with the system, we start investing the own money of Goldman Sachs until uh, actually uh, uh, Obama said it's too dangerous after the crash of 2007, had nothing to do with it. But then the, there were strict rules and me and my partners left. And I started my own firm, which is now a firm uh, that does the research from many markets, from currency, metals, uh, cryptocurrencies, S&Ps, European markets, based on the fact that things don't move at random. That means is we come up with the exact dates that the market goes up, the market goes down and how much it goes up and how much it goes down. And that's what I've been doing for, for uh, almost 20 years. So Dr. Nenner, someone who's listening to this saying that, um, you know, the markets are predictable, the movements in market are not at random. Um, that, that, <laughs> that position really runs counter to, for example, uh, uh, Dr. Malkiel, who wrote the book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street. So what would you say to people that are skeptical? Well, that's, that's, it's very interesting because uh, sometimes uh, people sign up after years and I says, why did it take you so long? And then they say, well, I saw you a lot on television, but there's so many people who say they know about it. So I thought there's another one. And it took me a couple of years to check out that you're really correct. Now, I don't think I have competition in predicting, uh, uh, let's just take a market, a uh, uh, crude, crude oil uh, if it goes up today, how many days it goes up and to which level it goes up. So our research is always very easy to check uh, with the four, uh, four weeks of trial because uh, it's very simple to see if the dates are correct and the levels are correct. It's not that we say, well, go, uh, go wrong and crude oil and wait a little bit. It's going to work out in the end. Uh, so they're not, I, have see, I have not seen competition that comes out with the exact date and the exact level. So I think for many years, uh, uh, we're up to something, and people who think there's a random walk uh, just are behind in the in the algorithm that that we have and into the facts that uh, develop themselves these days. Well, Dr. Nenner, you made a comment that when you started doing your research, it was uh, before we had computers that are certainly as efficient as they are today. Uh, so when you actually were making these calculations, I'll use the term longhand, I think that's accurate. Uh, that must have been quite a project. Well, it was a project. I went to, uh, then I was in Amsterdam and when I came back from the United States and I looked at 50 years of Wall Street journals, did everything by hand. And it's very interesting when you start looking at uh, when was the last major top, how many months before and the one before and then the one before. 
and say, hey, that's interesting. Every 48 months, I just mention something. It's uh, just a number. There is a major top. And then within the 48 months, is there some uh, intermediate top? Oh, every six weeks, there's an intermediate top. And then, you, you know, in front of your eyes, the whole thing develops. Now, how is that possible if you connect it to the news? The cycles are an interpretation of facts more than facts themselves. And let me give you an example. If you own IBM and IBM is up 50% for the last two years and IBM comes out with great numbers. Now, if the cycles are up, IBM has to go up. And then the Wall Street Journal will write, well, people poured into IBM because the numbers were great. But if you have the same numbers that are great and the cycle is down, IBM has to go down, right? So now the Wall Street Journal will write, well, IBM did so well, people took profit because they don't think IBM will do better next year. So based on the psychology of the market, and that's based on cycles, you know what the interpretation is. So the interpretation is even more important than the facts themselves. And what all Wall Street does is look at the facts themselves and not uh, much at the interpretation that's going to come out at a certain moment. Well, if you're just joining us, my guest today is Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, you can learn more about his work at charlesnenner.com. And he's offering all the listeners today a four-week free trial to his work so you can check out what it is that he does. So, Dr. Nenner, when you talk about, um, you know, cycles, um, I interview a number of people that are technical analysts, and they analyze markets in different time frames. So my question is, do these cycles apply to varying time frames, or is there a, a dominant time frame uh, that you use to examine various markets? No, no. We, <clears throat> sorry, we even have an intraday update. That means is today uh, the S&P, let's say the hourly cycle is up, and we know how many hours it's going up, and we know uh, if the S&P goes up until which level it goes up. So that's very simple to follow. So we do it for, uh, for whatever is necessary, natural gas and gold and silver and crude oil. Uh, so we have intraday updates that will tell you exactly, uh, let's say the, uh, the euro goes up till 10 past three, and then it goes down till 9.30 next morning. So it works, the same system works for every time frame. Well, you'll want to stay tuned because in the next segment, I'm going to get Dr. Nenner's forecast for various markets. But let, let me ask this too, as I'm, as I'm sitting here uh, listening to you, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. Um, are these time frames, these, these cycles that you talk about, uh, are they unique to each market or is there some underlying common denominator uh, that just exists because maybe these time cycles just exist in, in nature? And I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the, the Fibonacci numbers and things. Well, they definitely uh, exist in nature. If, if you want me to make it a little bit more complicated, <laughs> that if you look at the sunspots, <coughs> sorry intensity of the of the of the sun <coughs> there is a cycle in that and that creates a magnetic field down here in this world and that magnetic field uh, gives a certain crystallization of water and since our brains is 70 80 percent water that's how physically we, we're influenced by making interpretation so when uh, years ago Greenspan said, you know, I don't understand how this market works, it's because there were certain levels on spun spots. Now, <coughs> sorry, 
<clears throat> for somebody who really wants to study the subject, you can go to the NASA website and they usually have a prediction of the next couple of weeks of for sunspot intensity. And then if you do an overlay of the Dow Jones and the sunspot intensity, you get a pretty, pretty good correlation. So there's a lot, lot going on that we found out lately using computers. It's just that uh, Wall Street is, I don't do it. I don't know if they do it on purpose, if they don't do it on purpose, but they, they don't continue. They still have the same nonsense. They're saying like, <clears throat> like 50 years ago. Uh, and you, you mentioned technical analysts. The difference between what we do and technical analysts is a technical analyst will say, if this happens, then that is going to happen. And we don't say if this happens. It doesn't have to cross a line. It doesn't have to give a, a stochastics. We just say in advance, this is going to happen. So for big institutions, uh, like when I was at Goldman Sachs, if you have a big position, you want to buy in something, you cannot buy it when something gives a buy signal because uh, you're gonna, the market is going to shoot up. You still have to buy on a market that goes down. But you only want to get long if you know in a couple of weeks or a couple of days, the market is going to turn up. So major institutions use this. And the problem is the media don't, don't tell you this. So the small investor is always you know, behind the facts because he listens to the news why something happened and then it's already too late. So my clients anticipate uh, what's going to happen. Not that we know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen and we, we don't care what. We just want to know if the market goes up and which date goes up and how much it goes up. So we have time for one more question in this segment, uh, Charles. Has there ever been an instance when there, there's some fundamental factor that has changed a cycle? So, for example, as it relates, maybe you mentioned you, you track currencies. As it relates to the U.S. dollar today in particular, there's been a lot of currency creation by the Fed. Is there any of these fundamental factors that have, in your research, altered these cycles? No, no, because the, the, the Fed is part of the cycles. It's not that the Fed is like a Freudian father figure that can change markets. Um, as you, maybe if you want to take a look, if you go to my website and you go to CNBC, I was on CNBC uh, at two, 2006, and the Fed funds were six and a half. And there I say that into the first quarter of 2009, they will go to zero. Now, that's a very extreme thing to say, right? Certainly. And, and they went to zero. And uh, later we say, well, there was a housing crisis in 2007, whatever. Doesn't matter what happens, they had to go to zero. <clears throat> so, so whatever the Fed does, it doesn't change anything. The same thing with bond markets. Otherwise, we would not predict bond markets. Whatever they buy or they sell, the Fed has nothing to do with the cycles and the levels where they, they buy and they sell. They're just part of the whole investment uh, community. Well, my guest today is Dr. Charles Nenner. His website is charlesnenner.com. You can visit the website and he will give you a four-week free trial to his work. And I would encourage you to do that. Again, the website is charlesnenner.com. You'll want to stay tuned because in the next segment, I will be getting Dr. Nenner's predictions on various markets. I'll have that conversation with him when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg and your host. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, you can learn more about his work at charlesnenner.com. I would encourage you to do that. And Dr. Nenner, in the last segment, we talked a bit about your work and the whole idea of cycles. So in this segment, I'd like to talk a bit more about 
how uh, you are interpreting various markets based upon these cycles. And certainly one of the things that uh, has been uh, making headlines are cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin. I know you do some work in that area. Uh, certainly those markets have been extremely volatile. Uh, what do your what does your cycles uh, analysis tell you about where these markets are going in the future? Well, we we sold the uh, Bitcoin around sixty four thousand. That was the upside price target, and then we had a target of thirty thousand. And we uh, we still write if it doesn't go below twenty nine thousand, we could see another up move, but it will take a long time to get to get to these levels back. The cycles are down again since yesterday. Uh, so we had a short term on a Bitcoin, we had a short term price target of 42,000. And we wrote yesterday that if the Bitcoin will have, now we work with hourly closes because Bitcoin is actually trading day and night. So then we write, if there's an hourly close below 37,000, then we get downside price targets again. Uh, we're still long the Ethereum that did very well. Um, uh, I think we bought it around 1800 and we have a sell stop. If I remember well, I want 2480. Uh, it's very simple to, to trade these, these uh, currencies because there are no fundamentals involved. Like uh, if IBM will come out with, uh, with a, a, a price or a, a result that could do something short term, maybe <clears throat> still questionable, but the, uh, the, the cryptocurrencies are just based on emotions. And since cycles predict emotions, it's, it's very simple uh, to predict if the market goes up and down. And of course, we didn't talk that much about it, but you can also predict how high they go, how low they go. Uh, as an example, you know, um, if you've got physics in the old days and you shoot up a, a, a bullet, then you can calculate with a certain momentum how high it goes before it falls down. That's what you should look at, uh, at, uh, at prices in, 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 in financial assets. Uh, so I urge everybody, even if you're not interested to, to, to do anything, just uh, look for four weeks how we do it. So at least you know what kind of knowledge there is on Wall Street and how the big institutions and banks invest their money and make, make the profits. Um, and don't think, well, it's so far from a reality. It, it, it's, it's, I can't understand it. We'll make it pretty easy. And especially if you look at intraday updates and they give you the exact hour and exact minute, then you should come to a conclusion that there's something to it. And then if you look at price targets and every time a price target is reached, then you should come to the conclusion that these things don't move at random. Uh, just people who don't follow that, that if, if, if a price target is reached and the news item comes out, I give you one, one example. There is a, a gentleman, which I don't remember now what's his name, and he talked about the, the big, big swan theory. The swan theory, the black swan theory is... Something is going to happen and bring down uh, markets, and we can't figure out what it is. So when the cycle topped <clears throat> in February, uh, before the uh, fires came out, we were in 0% cash. And everybody was making analysis, well, maybe there could be a big swan event, but we don't know what. It. And then I still remember going on television, says, why don't you stop trying to figure out what's going to do it? Why don't you figure out when it's going to happen? But since people don't know when it's going to happen, they shift the interest as what's going to do it, and they're never going to find that out. So the interesting thing is then the virus brought down the market, and we had no idea that there would be a virus, uh, which is one example that it's not important what the, the, the trigger is. The thing you want to know is if it goes up and down, how much it goes up, and when it goes up, and when it goes down. 
So, Dr. Nenner, given uh, that you, you also track currencies, um, mm -hmm. where do you see the U.S. dollar heading? Well, we're bullish on the dollar, uh, contrary to uh, most, most people on Wall Street. Uh, not because fundamentally I know more than other people, but just because the cycles are still up. So I don't see this dollar really become weak like most people think. Do you see a similar uh, forecast for, say, the euro and the yen? Uh, well, it depends what you look, what you mean by uh, similar forecast. Are you bullish on both of those fiat currencies as well? No, no. So for, I'm not, 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 not bullish for the moment on the euro because actually the euro is the anti-dollar. It's like almost 50% of the dollar index. And the yen will continue in a trading range for a while. So there's not, most, most currencies will, will continue in a trading range for a while. So what, what's your take on uh, the gold and silver markets? After a big run-up um, in 2020, uh, they both pulled back. Uh, there seems to be a little bit, a little bit of upward price movement here. Uh, what does your research have you concluding about the precious metals markets? Well, we went, around, went out around 2100, and our price target longer term is 2500. Uh, cycles are still have to bottom. So whatever bounce you do and you play it, it's not going to end well. And we simply have to wait till after the summer for the bull market to continue. You can't force these things. You can only start uh, uh, buying when cycles bottom. <clears throat> so you have an upward price target for gold ultimately at 2,500. Uh, do right. you have a time frame for that? Uh, well, actually, it's 2,500 and maybe more because long-term cycles are up for a couple of years. <clears throat> now, what? I just want to mention one thing because I, I learned from sometimes giving an interview that the following thing happens. That if I say, uh, I think now gold is around 1,800, and if I say it goes to 2,500, there are people who buy 2,500. They, they don't look at our cycles. This is, well, I'm there for the long run, but then it goes to 1700, 1650. They get in a crisis, they sell just when the cycles are bottoming and they miss the whole up move. So uh, I don't want anybody now to react immediately on my target of 2500 because it's too early to, uh, to buy and you can still get hurt because it can still come down. So Dr. Nenner, I've interviewed a number of analysts who believe that silver has more upside than gold and they base that conclusion on fundamental analysis uh what's your take based on your cycles research by some on based on cycle research i don't see for the moment that silver is going to outperform gold again i don't pretend to know well i know as much fundamental i think as other people but i don't, don't think it's very helpful so i don't write too much about it uh, so I can't, I can't say if they're right or wrong. But for the moment, uh, I don't see more upside in silver than in gold. Do you have an upward price target for silver like you do for gold? No, I haven't looked at that. Okay. Uh, especially because uh, the work I do for the big uh, companies, they all want to know the upside in, in gold and not in silver. So, uh, but I'm going to catch up when cycles bottom. So... Dr. Nenner, let's talk about things that uh, markets that uh, many people out there that have IRAs and 401ks invest in. Uh, what's your view near term and long term for U.S. stock markets, say the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones? Well, uh, short term, we're OK for the months of August. We're going to get in some trouble uh, in September. <clears throat> and that's 
one of the reasons uh, is that the VIX cycles of the volatility index uh, are bottoming in September. So then usually if the VIX goes up, the market goes down. Um, so everything's gonna be uh, gonna be okay till into September. And then I really would take some, some profits over here because uh, I, I expect to have a, a correction that it's not worthwhile to stay long in the market. Uh, what we always do is if people who wanna stay long in the market, we buy the VIX usually very cheap. And then uh, whatever you lose on your stock position, you make back on your VIX position. And that's why we hatch for people who don't want to sell the stocks because of, because of tax consequences. So Dr. Nenner, do you have an ultimate uh, target on the downside if this correction will begin in September? Where, where do you see the market going ultimately? Well, ultimately is, is, is a long word was ultimately, but uh, uh, I really not don't want to get into that because uh, it would worry people, but it's it's substantial, and um, I'm sure that we're out of stocks totally in a few weeks, or we're very long the VIX, because the uh, the losses could be substantial for whoever uh, ever doesn't take uh, the measures that are necessary. Well, I'm chatting today with Dr. Charles Nenner. His website is charlesnenner.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, and Charles, often when stocks decline, we see a rebound in U.S. Treasuries. Uh, many investors through the years have uh, obviously and correctly viewed U.S. Treasuries as a safe haven. Uh, do you expect that correlation to continue? Well, that's not really a correlation. One of the, the, the problems we had was to get, uh, uh, when is it, a year ago or a little bit more, to get people out of bonds at the high. <clears throat> I said long-term cycles are topping. Since then, the bonds came down like 20% and the S&P market uh, continued up. Uh, that was based on the fact that <clears throat> people who are investors for the last 30, 40 years, bonds only have, have gone up and they couldn't even realize that bonds can also go down. <clears throat> now, the problem here is if you have stocks and they have, a, uh, they have a correction, they can come back because of earnings can go up. Bond market is different. First of all, a lot of people are in bond funds. That means they will not get the capital back. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> nobody believes that the interest rates are gonna stay this low. So uh, you have to know what you're playing with. Uh, first of all, I think that bonds will come down again. Uh, interest rates will soon start going up again. And uh, the, the tech, second thing is, if you think that in a couple of years, the, uh, the, uh, the inflation is gonna be below 2%, and the 10 year is gonna be around 1%. Uh, according to me, I said nicely, you must be dreaming because you have to read a little bit up of what happens during the, uh, the centuries and the years in bond markets. And this is not gonna be well because I think these this, uh, this interest rates go much higher. And if you have inflation, which surely can become four, five, 6%, then you have major losses and you're just stuck with it. And uh, you have a losing position. Well, the clock says, Dr. Nenner, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, my guest today has been Dr. Charles Nenner. His website is charlesnenner.com. You can visit the website, and he's offered our listeners a four-week free trial to his work. And uh, Charles, always a great pleasure to have you on the program, and I'd love to have you back down the road, and thank you for joining us today. Don't, don't forget to mention that if they write, they come to you to get 25% off. Even better.
Well, the website again is charlesnenner.com. So I'd encourage you to check it out. And we will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to my special guest, Dr. Charles Nenner, for joining me on today's program. You know, if you're just tuning in, uh, I announced in the first segment of today's program that my new book, Retirement Roadmap, would be released here within two weeks. If you'd like to get a complimentary copy when it's released, all you need to do is visit the website, RoadmapToRetirement.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirement.com. And when the book is released, I'd be very glad to get you a complimentary copy. In the first segment of today's program, I talked about one of the philosophies outlined in the Retirement Roadmap book, and that is that in the current environment, holding some alternate asset classes can certainly make some sense. In the first segment, I talked a bit about cash as an asset class. Uh, many financial professionals refer to cash as trash, saying that cash is trash because there is no yield, uh, there is really no appreciation potential, and in an inflationary environment, it loses purchasing power. All those things are admittedly true. However, in a deflationary environment, when you see asset prices collapse, cash can be a very good thing to have in your portfolio as Having cash in your portfolio will let you buy more of an asset class when prices of that asset class have declined. Now, another asset class that we talk about here on the program periodically, but is often ignored by mainstream, I will say, or Wall Street only financial professionals is that of precious metals. And for the most part, I'm not talking about paper-based precious metals, paper-based gold or paper-based silver, I'm talking about the real stuff. And this gets back to this currency money cycle. And I often talk about this. We've had certain points historically when currency and money have been the same thing. So for example, prior to 1933, gold circulated as currency in the United States. Gold is money, and money is defined as a good store of value over time. And gold is, at that time was currency, and currency is described as what's used in everyday commerce to purchase goods and services. Well, at the present time, because this currency money cycle has evolved, gold is classified as money, but it's not used as currency. Now, while cash, I believe, is an asset class that many people should consider having in their portfolio, so is gold, so is silver for many people. Now, let me just give you an example of this. If we go back to 1971, the Dow Jones Industrial Average stood at about 600. An ounce of gold at that time sold for $35 per ounce. In fact, in about a week, on August 15, we reached the 50-year anniversary of Richard Nixon eliminating the link between the U.S. dollar and gold. That was on August 15 of 1971. So in 1971, the Dow stood at about 600. Gold stood uh, at a price of $35 per ounce. 
And now the Dow is at about 33,000 and an ounce of gold is under $2,000. But let's just do some simple math. If in 1971, the Dow stood at 700 and an ounce of gold stood at a price of $35, if we take the value of the Dow in 1971 and divide by the cost of gold in dollars per ounce, we find the Dow was about 17 times the price of gold per ounce. Now, if we do that same math today, if we take the current Dow value of about 33,000 as I'm recording this, and we round up the price of gold slightly to $2,000 per ounce, what we find is that stocks and gold, the relationship between the two haven't changed much. We reached this inescapable conclusion that when stocks are priced in gold, they have about the same value today as they did in 1971. So what's the variable? The variable is that the US dollar has been devalued significantly since 1971. This is inflation in action. If food prices go up because the dollar is devalued or lumber prices go up because the dollar is devalued, stock prices also go up because the dollar has been devalued. And as you all know, rising prices don't necessarily mean greater value. Let me give you an example that maybe many of you can relate to. In 1971, a base model Chevy Silverado pickup sold, are you ready, for $2,967. 50 years later, that same base model Silverado sells for $31,590. Now, certainly there's some differences between the two, but arguably, it's still a pickup. It's the same truck. You could even make the case that the 1971 truck perhaps had more intrinsic value because it contained more steel and had more expensive metals. So 50 years later, in dollar terms, you're paying 11 times more for the same truck. Now, is there 11 times more value in the new truck? I think we could all agree that no, there's not 11 times more value. Interestingly, if you were to price a 1971 Silverado in gold, you would have shelled out 85 ounces of gold in 1971 to get a brand new pickup. Today, a new Silverado would set you back only 18 ounces of gold. That means that with the same amount of gold that would have purchased one pickup in 1971, you can now purchase four and you can have about 13 ounces of gold left over, that's about $26,000 in change. So the point is that as we move from inflation to deflation, which I believe is inevitable, and I talk about it in the Retirement Roadmap book, you need to have multiple asset classes, and many of you who aspire to a comfortable stress-free retirement would be wise to consider alternate asset classes as well. If I can get you a copy of the book when it's released, I would love to do that. There is no cost, there's no obligation. All you need to do is visit the website, roadmaptoretirementbook.com. The website again is roadmaptoretirementbook.com and I'll be glad to get you a complimentary copy.
That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.